even on. Forgot to get turned on there this morning. Sorry about that. Um, I guess you didn't have any trouble hearing anyway. <laughs> but there is an important aspect. People who don't know where they're going to spend eternity when God offers such an amazing thing. It, it, you know, and those who do know it, oh, what a comfort that is in whatever struggles we have. We know that those who love Jesus will never taste death. Isn't that incredible? We will never taste death. Those that have gone on before us did not taste death. They, they passed from life to life. <laughs> I mean, it kind of hurts us, but it didn't hurt them. <laughs> they, they went from, from all the all the issues that we pray for to get healed of, and they went to a perfect new body. <laughs> what amazing thing, where, where there's no more tears, no more pain, none of that. It, it's all gone. And they, and they get to walk in the light. We were talking about send the light. Oh, yes, Lord, send the light. But what a confidence, Diana, that's brilliant. We, and that's one reason why we do what we do here, because we want more people to know and experience the reality, the reality of knowing what it means to be saved. It's worth it. It's worth it. If they throw stones at us, if they throw tomatoes at us, if they, if they misalign us, if they speak evil of us, it's worth every little bit when one gets saved and then another. You know, it's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, um, we'll start the recording then, okay? <laughs> We're already going, huh? <laughs> I told her to start the recording for the, for the podcast um, after we finish the prayer time, and so he's already done that, but... Never mind, we get to enjoy it. For those joining us now on the podcast, we're glad you're here with us. Wherever you are in the world, we want to welcome you to be a part of our service. Um, we're looking this morning at uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 23 to 48. And uh, the topic I thought, I, I, I was trying to think, you know, what is a good topic? I'm going, now I understand. When uh, in, in the early 80s, the, uh, the discovery of microchips came out. Uh, uh, some of us can actually remember that. Some of you may not be that old. <laughs> but I remember hearing with that, the microchip, this is going to change the world. This is going to change how we live. This is going to change everything. And, and most people like me thought, how can a little tiny chip change everything in the world? You know, I mean, seriously. This little thing, I mean, what, what are they talking about? I heard it, it didn't register. And then one day, we, at, at, the, at, at our office in Germany, we bought a computerized typewriter. It had a little tiny screen on it, and you could read, you know, maybe one line of, of typing that came up uh, black on sort of a green screen in the background. And I went and got this big thick manual and I started to read it. And I'm going through it and Jen would tell you, every once in a while I'd go, wow, look at that, that's amazing. 
And I'm looking, you know, I, I couldn't believe this was a typewriter, you know, it was an electric typewriter, and I started using this electric typewriter. Look what it could do, it could do this and that. And I'm going, oh, they called it my golden calf. Everybody made jokes about it, how excited I was about this computerized typewriter. It wasn't just an electric typewriter, this was a computerized typewriter. And back in those days, you know, we, we had the little VIC-20 uh, computer and our, our oldest son, Mark, uh, just coming into his teen years, uh, actually learned how to program a game on it using the television screen. I mean, we're going way back now. I mean, this, this thing, you, you wouldn't dream of using anything like that today, it, it, you know? And today, what our, Olivia must have been, what, two, the first time that she picked up her mother's phone and called her grandfather. And I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing her picture on a phone. A two-year-old <laughs> is talking to me, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, this really has changed our lives. This little tiny thing <laughs> has completely transformed the world. You can go into the outback of, of Mozambique in the middle of the bush where there's hardly any electricity or anything else, and people have got cell phones doing banking, and they can't even read. And I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. You can put the whole Bible on a telephone. No, you can't. You can put hundreds of Bibles on a telephone in every single language, and you can pick it up. I can pick up my phone I can't pick up my phone because it's recording right now for Facebook Live. But, but if you pick up your phone, you can go to a Bible verse. I wish I'd had this back in the day when I was witnessing on a Korean ship up in Baltimore. And, and they didn't speak any English, only Korean. And I didn't know any Korean. And, and I'm sitting there with a little tract in, in Korean. And all I could see was a 323. So I thought that must be... Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I pointed to that and they would read it. And then, you know, I found a 3.16. I figured, well, that must be John 3.16. So I turned to it, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I had them read that and they would read it. And I said, you, you pray Jesus. <laughs> I prayed with people to receive Christ on a Korean freighter in Baltimore Harbor without knowing a single word. But today I could just take my phone, I could come up to John 3.16, read it in English, and just hit a button and turn it to Korean and have them read it right like that. And I'm sitting there going, why didn't I have it back then? The, the changes that have come, and now I understand, now I understand, you know, what, 1980. 82, and this is 2022, so that's what, 40 years ago? <laughs> now I understand what they said, this little chip is going to change our world. Sometimes people can see things and tell us stuff, and we don't really understand or comprehend the dynamic of what it really means, and we start to grow in it step by step. We had no idea of the computing power that we have today and Zoom calls and how we can survive and running businesses uh, on, you know, the day when 
when they had video chats, that was, that was something lost in the future, you know, that people would dream about, not possible, you know, Dick Tracy and his video watch. Ha! I mean, the stuff that's happening is incredible, right? Well, as dramatic as that change was for us over the last 40 years, let me tell you that what I'm about to read to you is a greater change, a greater paradigm shift than what anybody could have ever imagined that has changed the course of the world. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in Acts chapter 10. And this is, this is a bit that I, I look at and I, I just have to marvel at. I have to marvel at it. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 10, beginning at the end of... What did I say? Thank you, sweetheart. What would I do without my wife? I would be really confused. I, I need her to keep me straight. I really do. I'm so grateful for that. I, that's something I praise God for. I praise God for my spouse. And I hope everybody else here does as well. You pray, not for my spouse. You praise God for your spouse. <laughs> right. Okay. Beginning at the end of verse 23. And the next day, he, that's Peter, arose and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered uh, Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And it came about that when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask, for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, well, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been so kind enough to come. So now then, we, we are all here, present, before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, 
how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting and praising God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on. For a few days. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. Well, just quick review from last week. Um, why all the hoopla? Why did God t- send an angel? Why didn't he just tell the angel, tell Cornelius to get saved? Repent right now, get saved. <laughs> Why did he say, go get Peter? And they walk two days down to get Peter. He shows Peter this vision three times of all these animals in this sheet and and says, get up and kill. And he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to do anything that's unclean. And he says, what I've called clean, you cannot call unclean. And and after all of this, after all of this, he, he he hears these people coming up and saying, is there a Simon called Peter here at this house? He comes out and says, that's me, what do you want? And God had said to him, he said, they, I sent them. God tells Peter, I sent them. They said, Cornelius sent us. But God had told Peter, they're sent by God. You don't debate, you don't argue with them, you just go with them. So he invites them in. And this is extremely unusual because we've got a soldier, a Roman soldier, with two other servants coming from a Roman centurion who uh, has come down to the gate and you don't associate with him if you're a Jew. He invites them in, they spend the night, he spends two days to walk back. And my question was, why all this hoopla in the middle of it all? Why go through all these things to get Peter there, you know, all the stuff that the growth in his faith by seeing Dorcas raised from the dead and Aeneas healed of his, uh, his, his paralysis. Well, he was making his will known within a whole community. This is not something that God's going to do in secret, 
but he involves people in the activity of whatever it is that he does. He's building people together as a body that knows and follows and listens and hears the voice of Jesus. And so he's making his will known, but he wants his will known not just to individuals, but to whole groups of people who are witnesses to what God is doing. And then finally, we know that when God answers our prayers, and we're praying for 20 20 new people to come and join us here in in this church (laughs) this year. I don't care. I don't don't mind. I won't object if it's 22 or 52. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not going to try to turn anybody away. But the issue is this. When we ask God to send, we better not complain about who he sends. <laughs> if we're asking him to send, he's going to choose who he sends. And he may end up sending people that we don't know or don't like or don't appreciate or we've, we, we think are, are bad or good or whatever. You know, they're not part of us. They're not in our same economic structure. They're not the same color of our skin. They, they don't speak English so well or they... They've got unruly kids or whatever. I don't care. When God sends them, he's doing that because he wants to do something in our hearts to change us into the image of Jesus, as well as wanting to do something in the lives of the people that he brings. Right? God's, God's doing both. He's changing us, changing them. Okay, so that's important. And now change is coming. Now this, this, is, this is important. I, I, I love this. If you want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Within the Christian faith, it's not about what we know. It's about who we know. It's about who we know. And it's whether or not we know Jesus. It's not about what we know about Jesus. It's who we know, our personal relationship with Jesus. Now, here is Peter. And he has just had this incredible experience raising a lady from the dead. He's had this amazing experience of seeing a lame man walking. He has just done the same things that Jesus had done. He's absolutely ecstatic about it. And he's staying in the house of a tanner who's sort of an unclean guy. But he's still a Jew, so that's fine. And suddenly God shows him a vision three times. How often does God have to say something before it's important? (laughs) He only has to say it once because it's forever. His words never change. He never changes. He's the same and he never changes. And when he says something, that's the way it is. So you see, when he says it three times, it's kind of important. And this guy gets up thinking, what in the world was that all about? He comes out of his trance, scratching his head. And then a Roman soldier with two slaves to a Roman centurion show up at the door have walked two days to get there, knows, they know that he's in that house. How do they know that? He's sitting there scratching his head, and God said, you don't complain, you don't argue, you, 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 you go with them. So he's sitting there struggling with, with, I mean, we're not supposed to associate with these guys. 
I don't know what he talked to them about for the next two days walking back to Caesarea with them, but there's got to be some kind of conversation going on. And he's bringing all these brothers from Joppa with him. Maybe they'd come with him from Jerusalem as well. I don't know. It says that they were present on the day of Pentecost. But, but here they go. They come back, and here comes this centurion, maybe one of the slaves ran ahead to say, they're, they're here, they're here, you know. And this guy is, is amazed that, that what the angel said was true. It was amazing. I mean, what an incredible event, right? <laughs> and he comes running out and he pays homage. He's not worshiping Peter. He's paying homage. It's what you did if you went into Caesar's court. If, if, if I'm a, a soldier and I go in to see Caesar, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to... I'm going to, you know, honor him and, and let him know that he has authority over me. It's kind of like what my dog does. You know, he comes up to me and lays down on his back and wants me to rub his tummy. And that's his act of submission, you know. And I don't know where they get this thing about getting down on their knees. And Peter says, stand up. I, you know, I'm a man too. Just, you know. And then he says something interesting. He says, you, you know, um, this is highly unusual, because I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be talking with you even. I'm not supposed to be sitting around with you. This is contrary to everything that I have been taught and I was raised up doing as a kid. I knew that we are here to protect the honor of the one true God and you guys worship all these deities and who knows what all you're involved in. And, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to protect the honor of God and I've got to protect the temple and I've got to protect God's laws and you guys have no idea what the laws of God are and everything. So he is struggling because he's there and God had told him specifically several things, and one of them was, <laughs> don't doubt, don't complain, don't get upset, you go. So now he's there, and he's saying, well, I'm not supposed to be here, but I, I guess I'm obeying God. This is un highly unusual that I am here with you. And he comes up with his first revelation he had heard God say to him what I have called clean don't call unclean he had said that three times and now he says this has something to do with that vision now I know that God doesn't show partiality now I know something about the vision so the change that's coming to him the change that he's experiencing in his life there's two aspects to this, right? He's going through a change, but Cornelius and his family and all of his household, they're going to go through a change too. They just don't know what. They, all they know is that the angel said, go get this guy. And this guy shows up and he's totally unprepared. He has no idea what's going on. And, and he says, all I know is that God doesn't show partiality. Something that Paul pulls up later on and he says, he says, you know, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. He understood something that in the presence of God, when we are born again, we're born into the family of God, and these labels mean nothing. Now, here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. He's standing there 
wondering what's going on. What do you want me to do? We've all gathered here. I brought my whole family and all my relatives and all of my close friends. We're all here. We want to hear what you have to say to us. But he hasn't had any real time to prepare any kind of message. I mean, here's this guy going, you know, I'm struggling with understanding that I'm allowed to be here. I begin to understand that God is involved in this somehow. I mean, you got to think, he didn't come prepared for what's happening, right? This sort of all happened. He had the vision, the knock on the door. God says, go with them. The next morning he gets up, he walks two days with these guys, and he ends up at this house, and suddenly there's not just a, a centurion, it's, the whole crowd is there. They're all there. And so he, he's looking at, at, at that, and he's saying, well, this has something to do with that vision. This has something to do with God cleansing things that is not really in the kosher realm of my life. And I said that particularly because he was a Jew, you know, and he only ate kosher meat. And so here he is with this this confrontation with them. What is this? What's happening, God? I can see the wheels turning of him trying to understand. And he says, well, I've, I've come to the first level. I understand that God doesn't show partiality. I mean, when I first went, to Europe and was traveling around as a young Christian and I met other Christians and we were trying to converse with one another, one thing I discovered is they had met the same Jesus that I had met and they didn't know English. It wasn't just English that made me susceptible to receiving Jesus. He was showed no partiality. He didn't care where you came from in the world or what your background was or anything else. He was drawing people to himself, and everyone who was yearning to know God has the opportunity to come to know God. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. He wants it for everybody. But here, here, here's Peter saying, well, this is my box. This is my understanding. This is, this is how it ought to be. And now he's, he's been thrown into a situation where he's totally unprepared and has no idea how this works because there is, there is no rule in his background, in the laws that he's read, to, to govern what he's doing. He's going against the things that he had originally thought were right. So this struggle with him, and then he, he gets up and he starts to preach. His sermon is an interesting sermon. I, I find this a fascinating sermon. It, 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 he gets up to focus on his preaching. He starts off by saying to them, I, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, but you already know all this. <laughs> you mean all the people that were there had heard and had not understood. You see, he starts with hearing. Go this way. This microchip is going to change the world that we live in. You hear it. Back in 1982, I'm going, I don't understand. I learn how to operate a computerized typewriter. I'm going, aha, that's what this is about. Do I have full understanding? No. 
but I know something about where this is headed. By the time I get to understand what is really happening, it is far greater than anything I could have imagined back in 1982. So now we have something where Peter is getting out of his comfort zone and he's encountering a Roman centurion who ostensibly has the authority over his life if he wants it, can command him to do any number of things, who's falling at his feet and, and he's going, this doesn't compute in my mind. This doesn't work. How, what's going on? Stand up, you know. And then he says, well, we're here to listen to what you have to say. And he says, well, well, the only thing I can tell you is stuff you already know. They had heard and not understood what they had heard. He goes through the whole thing about Jesus. He was anointed by God. He was baptized by John and he came out in the power of the Spirit and, and he healed the sick and he did good to people. You know all this. I'm just telling you something that you know. They had heard it but it hadn't made a single impact on their lives. Knowing about Jesus does not mean that you know him. And so here, here, we've got, here we've got Peter saying, you know this, you know this, you know this. So we are witnesses to the resurrection. He didn't appear to everybody, but he did appear to us. We ate with him. We drank with him. He was in the flesh. We touched him. He was here. We know it was Jesus, and we are the witnesses, and we know the Lord. Now he's moving away from what they know. And he says, he is the Lord who will judge the living and the dead. That's who he is. He is the Messiah and his role that he has now is not just to go about doing good and healing people and doing all this wonderful stuff. He is the judge, the ruler of all. He is the Lord. They are hearing for the first time that the lordship of Jesus Christ is greater than the lordship of Caesar. And so they turn around and they're looking and he's going on to say, this is incredible. He's talking to Gentiles now. He's not talking to his Jewish brothers who he's been trying to convince that Jesus is the Messiah and go back through all the prophets and say this, but now he turns to people who don't know all that about the prophets. They don't know all about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They don't know about Moses and they don't know about Joseph. I don't know. They don't know a lot of stuff. Maybe they've heard some stuff, but they have not put any of it together. And now he comes out and says, I'll tell you who Jesus is. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. The Lord of all. His preaching is completely different at that moment. At that moment, there is a powerful presence of God that starts to permeate the entire place with everybody that's in it. And they, they take a look and, and something begins to happen when he says, and he forgives all who come to him. You can see the dawning 
of understanding now in the lives of the Gentiles who have been pious and have been praying and have been giving alms. They have been doing good things because they know that God is real, but it hasn't touched their lives. It hasn't transformed them. It hasn't done anything that they had experienced on the day of Pentecost. And so while he is preaching and talking about the forgiveness of sins, God shows up. And they receive the forgiveness of sins listening to somebody talking about the Lordship of Jesus, the one who judges the living and the dead. That's incredible. Peter has no expectations. He's not given an altar call. He's not saying, now you must be born again, so... When this hymn comes up, I want you to come to the front and give your life to Jesus. <laughs> we do that here because there needs to be an, an act of faith on your part to say, I agree that I, I need to come to Jesus. That, that's a, just one way of, of but it's, you can get saved in your, in, in, anywhere. When you, it happens whenever you encounter Jesus and ask him to forgive and you experience the forgiveness, the cleansing of your sin in the inside when Jesus begins to touch you. That is when you get saved and born again. This is just one little opportunity that we have here. But Peter's not doing that. He does, he's not believing that this is anything that they're going to do because they're not Jews. His expectation is just real small. But God does great things with little faith. <laughs> I'm amazed at that. And God shows up and does the work. And while he's speaking, suddenly these people are filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other languages, beginning, beginning to prophesy beginning to praise God, beginning to express something that's happened to him, much like what we just did here this morning when we started to praise God. Can you imagine his surprise when he's sitting there going, wait a minute, that's what happened to me on the day of Pentecost. It's the same thing. And, 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 they, and they didn't get circumcised. They haven't become Jews. They haven't gone through all the rituals. They haven't gone through all the understanding of the Old Testament. They didn't memorize any Bible verses. The sermon that they hear to get saved, I read to you this morning. And it didn't take very long, did it? And suddenly, because he mentions lordship and forgiveness... There was something inside of them that they reached out and said, I need that forgiveness. I need that relationship. I don't want to just know about what Jesus did, how he died. I want to meet him myself. <laughs> and God says, okay, <laughs> you want that? Here it is. Here it is. And and Peter is just, in Britain they would say gobsmacked. <laughs> He's just sitting there going, God, what is this? What are you doing? Because suddenly his entire life 
everything that he has learned and grown up with is thrown into total confusion because God is doing something greater than anything that he imagined that God could do. This little event witnessed by the Jews and these Gentiles is going to become a major turning stone in chapter 11 and in chapter 15 in the councils because the church is going to have to change their whole attitude towards the rest of the world. They have to change everything about what Christianity is about. Their whole focus has got to turn from, well, this is, here, I've gone over this, the change in the Gentiles. They understood the message. They heard it. They understood it. They received it. And the end result was that Peter says, well, is there anybody here that can argue with the fact that God showed up in their lives? Can, can anybody argue with that? I mean, that's what happened to us. It's happened to them. So let's baptize them. He didn't say let's circumcise them. He didn't say, let's send them to a class to learn about the Old Testament and the Torah. He didn't say any of that. He just said, well, let's get the water out and get down and baptize them. And the whole lot get baptized. The whole lot gets baptized. He stays with them for a few days. He's going to instruct them for a few days. But what has happened is a major paradigm shift in the lives of the Jewish believers in the Messiah. See, they were never out to start a new religion. That's not what they were about. And the new ones, the new believers, they don't have a name for this new religion. They became followers of the Messiah. They were just followers of the way. They, they were enjoying the life. That's how they described it as Jews. But, but the whole focus here is not to start a new religion. The whole focus here is to get into a relationship with Jesus. I have a good friend. We've been friends for over uh, 60 years. And we were discussing this on Friday morning. And he, he wrote this to me. He says, they probably weren't thinking in terms of labels. That is, the, they, you know, they weren't thinking of becoming Christians instead of pagans. They would have been bonded with anyone who had had the same experience of the Spirit. A new family or household was coming into existence that defied old categories. I think we get into tribalistic thinking only when we lose our sense of the living presence of God. We seem to divide over issues related to what we know versus who we know. That was my friend Andy Wygand on Saturday morning. I, I sit there and I'm, I'm wondering too, in our, in our approach, have we become so ritualistic in what we do that we fail to see what God is doing? Is our focus on growing an organization, or is our focus learning the ways of God and following his son? 
There's a real difference between the two. It's not that I'm belittling organizations, but we need to celebrate people who say, I need Jesus and I need forgiveness. I need to know the one who can lead me and guide me through all the hoopla. He can show me even if I don't understand and bring me to understanding. You see, Peter's understanding grew a little bit when he met Cornelius. It grew a little bit more <laughs> when they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. It grew again in chapter 15 when they have to make decisions about circumcision and how do we relate to Gentiles. And the decisions that they made that started on this day in the house of Cornelius have led to us being here today. You see, all of us are Gentiles. <laughs> no Jews here amongst us. How grateful we are that this man who had experienced God grown in faith, God was able to entrust him with this incredible new breakthrough in thinking. And then I sit down and I say, Lord, how much of my thinking is so narrow and I think it has to be this way. You can't get saved unless you go through the Roman road <laughs> or you can't, you can't really be a Christian unless you're baptized or you can't really be a Christian unless you dress like us, talk like us, and think like us. How many times do we try to put the blinders on instead of letting God do the work and lifting people up and praying for them and saying, God, God, lead and direct them. God, touch their hearts. God, change their hearts, change their minds, renew their minds. How often do we come into a place where, where we have the organization that we want people to be a part of rather than to fellowship with us and share the life that God gives us? Until I've been forgiven, how am I going to forgive those who sin against me? How am I going to be reconciled to one another unless we're willing to forgive and receive forgiveness and ask for it? See, somewhere the Lordship of Jesus breaks us down to the point where we say, I've got to move from, from my hearing, from my understanding, and like those folks that gathered in the house of Cornelius to my experiencing the love of God that transforms my life. That's the invitation. That's the wonderful invitation that God offers each one of us. I, I don't like, I, I, I've been in situations when I was doing evangelistic meetings and I would push people to get saved and, and they would eventually come down the aisle and they would cry and everything else. And, and, but I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for what I can you know, motivate people to do. But I want people on their own to say, I don't care what anybody says or what anybody thinks. I need Jesus. And I need to get away from just hearing about him, not just understanding a little bit about him, 
I need to know him. And if praying with somebody down here at the altar is going to be a benefit to you, to help you in your faith, take that step. You can make that step. You can just come out. I don't care if you've been in church. I don't care how long. It's irrelevant. If you need to renew your relationship, start a relationship, develop your relationship with Jesus because he's talking to you, then this is the time when, and the place where you can do that in confidence and in safety. We invite you, as we sing our final hymn here this morning. Um,